I think that we live in a crazy world. It's, it's this strange type of reality that we find ourselves in, right? Like, I think it's been 11 or 12 weeks. I can't even count anymore how long this weirdness is happening. I mean, thank God that we're, that we're progressing towards getting back to some sort of normalcy in life, but we live in a crazy world. And in some ways, there are elements of our society that are at risk. They're, they're kind of falling apart. And let me explain that. I'm not a doomsday sayer. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an alarmist per se, but I want to explain it as we get into today. And I, I, I want to thank you as a family group for being part of the Promise Church family, for engaging with who we are and continuing to work through this. This was not our plan. You know, when we lost our space at Chris Hadfield, um, that was not our decision. That was a decision made by the government of Ontario and by the Simcoe County District School Board and, and closed our permits. Um, it's just something that happened inside this pandemic. But you guys have walked with us in this crazy world, in this time that it's just a little bit weird, a lot weird. It's a lot weird. And, uh, and so thank you for your patience. Thank you for being involved. Uh, thank you for, for being a part of Promise Church. Thank you for commenting on Slack. And maybe some people right now are going to write, you're welcome. Um, this is such a crazy time. And, you know, it's, it's a crazy time and there are elements of our society that are at risk. And I just want to talk about them because it's going to affect how we prepare for the presence of God. So, where are we at risk? Well, um, as a society, we struggle now with the idea of truth. It used to be a philosophical discussion uh, called epistemology, but now it's come into the real life, into what our experiences are as individuals and how we ascertain what is true. And truth is in question these days. You know, three years ago, four years ago, if we count the campaign, Donald Trump down in the States tagged something that seemed obscure at the time, but he created a hashtag called fake news. And in that, it wasn't that he created this crisis, but he highlighted this crisis of, an under, of a misunderstanding or a not really being clear on how we get to what is true. Oprah had helped out before that when she talked about our truth, as though truth was fully subjective. And there are elements of truth that are subjective. My experience is not the same as your experience. The way that I'm processing this pandemic is not the same as the way you are processing this, this life adjustment and what's happening. And so there are elements that truth can be subjective in experience. But there are also elements where truth is very important. And as a society, we may be on the verge of what technically would be called an epistemological crisis. It's a crisis as a society that says, how do we determine what is true? How do we determine where we go? We as Christians need to understand our foundation of truth in a really big way. So this is really relevant to how we prepare for the presence of God and what it means for us. 
So today, that's what we're doing. If we want God's life and God's presence to influence our work, we as a church need to have a foundation of why we say what we say is unshakably true. Let me pray. God, as we enter into this idea of truth, it is such a vague idea, yet a very specific idea. It's, it's got subjective reasoning in it as well as, as, as historic reasoning. It's, a, it's an idea that has been grappled with for the centuries, and today we grapple with it in a whole new way. And so, God, I pray that as we prepare for your presence, that we would understand the foundation of our truth, where it is, and how we can access it, and how we can know you, how we can truly be caught up into your presence in a huge and important way. I pray for a blessing on all these church families that have, that have joined us on, online. I pray that you would sustain them, that you would be with them, God, that you would, that you would allow their eyes to see a, a positive future, that your vision and, and the way that your kingdom breaks into this fractured society would become clear to them and that we would be able to continue to move forward as a church in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. And so, what an audacious statement. I mean, that is absolutely huge. How can Jesus, who in our secular worldview would be an individual, one individual, claim such a broad, sweeping, huge statement of truth? How can Jesus even do that? How can he, as one person 2,000 years ago, have a voice that transcends time, that says, I am the truth? I mean, that's a big statement to swallow. It's a big statement to try to wrap our heads around as we are in a place where we don't really understand truth. We need to really get into that. How can we believe that statement today since it seems to have been written by a man about a man? And how can we trust the Bible at all? Really, that's the foundational question that we need to ask. Because the Bible tells us about Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. And so, how do we get the authority to speak of truth? How do we even get there? So, it's really, really important to, to start to grapple with this. And we're going to do it, hopefully, in a very quick sermon. Um, it might be, well, we'll see how it goes. But... It's really important. So let's, let's travel through this together. What Christians believe? We believe uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. So what does it mean? So does it mean that God wrote the scriptures? Yes. Does it mean that men wrote the scriptures? Well, 
Yes, we actually believe in a dual authorship of Scripture. We believe that God wrote and people wrote Scripture. And God spoke and people recorded. And God acted and people recorded. And God inspired and people wrote it down. So we have this dual authorship of Scripture that's really important for us to wrap our heads around. You know, there are some lines of Christianity that say that only God wrote Scripture. And that same line of Christianity would say that the original writing of Scripture was written by God moving the arms of people like a marionette. And that literal understanding of God wrote Scripture would be then transitioned down through the human translations, but the best human translation, according to this sect of Christianity, would be the King James Version. And they would be absolutely adamant that God inspired the King James Version as well. Okay, well, the majority of the mainline Christian doctrine and Christian belief doesn't hold to that strict piece because we believe in a dual authorship, a partnership between God and people. And I want to explain how that partnership works, how we get to authority from this strange place. So did God write every word of scripture through people? Yes. So here's what we need to know. We need to understand what is good theology. As we get to truth, we have to understand a basis for our study of God. The good theology is only based on God's action. There's nothing that we know about God without God's action. If God didn't do anything, we would not know it. We would not know anything about God, but because God acts, we are able to know God. We are able to see his action. And, uh, and so the Bible becomes, in the broad scale, the Bible becomes the collection of God's actions. The collection of stories, generation after generation, of God's action. Last week I said that the Bible is God's story and the characters in the Bible are the, uh, they're the supporting roles. God is the main character. And that, if we read the Bible from that perspective, that God is the main character, then the storyline is God solving the problem of how he reveals himself to people. That's the storyline of Scripture. And so when we read Scripture with that lens, how does God reveal himself to people, we can start to build good theology. Theology in the past hundred years has been about um, categorizing. It's called systematic theology. We categorize ideas. Here is an idea of God. He is Trinity. Here are all of the scriptures that point to God being Trinity. Bam, done. Trinity theology is here. Okay, so now we have creationism. Here is what we believe about God, and here's what the Bible says. Here it is, right here. Bam, there's our category. And we systemize all of our beliefs. That's systematic theology. More recently, we've actually stepped into a more narrative view of biblical theology, and we call it biblical study. What it is, is the belief that God has been acting through stories to reveal his character, which means to understand it, we have to get involved in the history. What did God do? And that's where we get good theology comes from God's action. When we have the historic story, then we're able to say, this is important for us. Now, that's a really important point, what God did, because if God does uh, if, if God 
were, were to be viewed, we would have to realize that God needs to be viewed through multi-generations because he is too large to be encapsulated in one generation or one person's experience. He is much too large. So we have to have a multi-generation story of God. Otherwise, God is too small. So God uses generations of people to tell the story one after another. And it's non-contradictory. God's story continues on in a non-contradictory fashion. And as his story continues on, we can see what God is doing. Here's a really interesting piece. In this story of God's action, God foretells what he is going to do. Here's a verse for us to consider. Amos chapter 3 verse 7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the the prophets. God does nothing without telling it. So what's going on here? Well, think of it when you last went to a pool hall. Maybe you were a young adult. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe it was yesterday. Well, no, they're close. And, uh, and so you went to a pool hall and you, you, you set your shot up and, and you just you take your shot. And lo and behold, three balls go into three different pockets. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that just happened. And your friend who is with you calls fluke. You didn't mean to do that. That was a complete fluke. You didn't mean to make that happen. You just shot and the balls happened to all go in there. Okay, well, sometimes when you play pool, a fluke shot gets called back and it's not valid. God says that he doesn't do anything without first revealing his secrets to his prophets. So not only do we know God through his actions, we can know God through his action of predicting or calling his shot. If I'd gone into the pool hall in the same way and I had said, all right, I'm going to hit this ball and that ball's going to hit that ball and that ball's going to hit that ball and they're going to go into these different pockets, then I would have called my shot. And when it actually happened, I would say, I'm amazing. This is what happened. And my friend wouldn't say fluke. My friend would be like, you're amazing. You are amazing at pool. Well, what God has done is he's revealing himself generation after generation, and he's calling his shots. He's saying, I'm going to do this, and then he does it. And the first thing we've recognized about God very quickly is we see that God establishes his faithfulness. It's the first character attribute we know about God in the Bible. In in chronology of the revelation of God, he builds everything on faithfulness. He makes a promise and he fulfills it. This is where the name of our church comes in. It's a promise and it's fulfillment. We get to promise church foreshadowing the fulfillment of God's promises. And so we get this promise fulfillment motif that's happening, that's building this faithfulness of God. God builds his credibility by calling his shots. Okay, vitally important, but let's pause for a second. We need to recap where we are. We are talking about the authority of God as truth. He establishes through generations and he calls his shots to show his faithfulness, to show it's really him. 
We have a court system right now. We're going to move to the next point. We have a court system right now. And our court system determines whether somebody is guilty or somebody is innocent. That's what happens. We have two major ways in which guilt or innocence is determined. One is through evidence and two is through witnesses. God uses the same thing. In physical evidence, we look to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12. Deuteronomy 6, 12 is in the Shema, but what it is, is it says, you know, take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you will fear, in him you will serve, and by his name you will swear. So what we have is we have this idea that that says, take care to not forget. Israel, right at the beginning of God's redemption from, from Egypt, these people have been sworn to record the actions of God. Why? Because that's how we know God. God acts generation after generation, and now these people have been sworn to record it. Write it down. God did something. It was awesome. Write it down. Because the generations afterwards must know. Because we have to build our understanding of God. This is progressive revelation. We're building our understanding of God. So in the Pentateuch, the early story of God is told. It's written down. And it takes us all the way back to creation. The Pentateuch, Penta, first five books of the Bible. Takes us all the way back. Okay, so when we are preparing for the presence of God, we have to find the authority of God in Scripture. And the people of God are now charged with telling the story of God and writing it down. Lest you forget. Later on in history, an army was attacking, was attacking Israel. And Samuel, who at the time was the, was the priest leader of the whole nation of Israel, and, uh, and, he was, and, and it was the Philistine army that was coming in and attacking. And God gave them a miraculous victory. We know that God is powerful and he is provider and he is, and he is protector because God gave them a miraculous victory. It's, it's written down. And so in this writing, um, Samuel, in, uh, in 1 Samuel 7, 12, you can look this one up, uh, Samuel set up a stone monument and he called it an Ebenezer because he said that it's till now the Lord has helped us. It's a testimony that this witness, this evidence that God has helped us is right here. God has done something and we are bearing witness to the evidence. This is what's happened. So the whole Bible is the recorded story of God's predicted and faithful fulfillment of his promises and revelation of his character. This is what we're seeing in the Bible. So when we talk about authority, we're talking about carefully written words about God's actions. Really, really important. Remembering and marking the acts of God was the practice of the people of Israel. This is the basis and the foundation of what we know. The story they tell is historical. And it's really, really large. So 
On top of that, we have the witnesses, and the witnesses are happening in Deuteronomy 17, just a couple, couple pages over. Deuteronomy 17, 6 and 7 says, um, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, the one uh, who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put, shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall first be against him to put him to death and afterwards the hand of the people. So you will purge the evil from your midst. The idea is that you can't just accuse somebody of doing something. There needs to be multiple witnesses backing it up. There needs to be evidence. There needs to be witnesses. This is very early on in the structure, in the law structure of the Jewish people. And so we have witnesses establishing truth. In Matthew 18, we have witnesses once again um, talking about how discipline happens. And, and it says you go with witnesses to say that, that uh, something has happened. So Matthew 18, 16 says, if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may, may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The, the idea that witnesses need to happen is, is so important to our understanding of truth. It attests to truth. So Jesus attests to truth. Jesus says in John 5, 30, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another one who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. Uh, you sent to John, and John has borne witness to the truth. So we see him, we see Jesus verifying who he is based on the witness of others. John said, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus says, there is witness. Another witness that he uses in the same passage is Moses. Moses says this is to be expected. God called his shot that the Messiah would come. And, and so we see this. Jesus is saying, the witness is true of me. How does this prepare us for the presence of God? All of these things about Scripture, we have to understand that Scripture gives us the foundation for us to get to the truth. Scripture is our foundation. It's not the media. It's not my perception. It's not my chosen identity. It's not my whatever perspective I have. It is Scripture. And Scripture is written as the story of God. The story of God that takes me through this revelation of God for multiple generations. If, if, if this is the God that we believe in, then we have to say that it's important for us to be established in an understanding of Emmanuel. When I put my faith in God, my faith is informed by God's past action. It's not a floaty ideal of like, oh, I'm going to meet God. No, it is formed in God's past action. I put my faith and my trust in the truth of Scripture. We have to take it seriously because if this God is real, then he has to be larger than us, which means I can't get it all just from my own short span of life that I have. I have to rely on the stories of others. If God is actually real, we can't make gods in our own image. We can't just be like, oh, well, this is what I want God to be like. 
doesn't work. That's empty. God is promising to be with us, the real God. We can't afford to reduce God to our perception. It's got to be based in history. If you want to know God, you have to actually read the history of God and allow his actions to inform what God is doing now. You have to. We can't detach ourselves from the history of scripture and expect that the God that we come up with is the God that revealed himself and took so much care and so much time to invest in humanity. We've got to go back and we have to say, here is our foundation for truth. From there, all other truths can be built. All other realities, all other constructions, all other pieces of society, they can all be built from the foundation that God has revealed himself. People have faithfully recorded God's action. We have trusted it for thousands of years. And there have been many witnesses, much evidence, to say this is the authority. All of it culminates in Jesus' statement when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can come to God except for through me. This isn't the arrogant statement of an individual. This is the culmination of thousands of years of history of God calling his shots until one day he stands among other people as a person incarnate and says, I'm the way. Know me. You cannot know God without knowing me and you cannot know me without knowing God. These three remain, the word of history, the word of witnesses, and our current testimony. God is still acting. This very God that acted here, and we closed the canon, we closed it and said, this is what we're sure of. But God is still acting today. And we know that God is acting today because he's faithful. And so when we see the same types of things happening in the Bible as happened today, we know that the same God is behind it. And so we know and we trust. We answer this crisis in our day, not by trying to wade through it with our own philosophies, but by rooting ourselves in the truth of Jesus. We root ourselves in the revelation of Scripture. And it's when we do that, we can be prepared for God's presence. It's so important that we actually do this and take it seriously. And I thank you for joining with us today. I'm going to pray that God increases your hunger for Scripture. God, I thank you. I thank you for your persistence. I thank you that you intentionally spent thousands of years to show us your character. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is consistently working on the same trajectory of showing yourself to us. And God, right now we get caught up in a day where people are unsure of what truth is. In that, I pray that you would increase our desire for Scripture, something sure, something true, something that I can anchor my life on. 
God, I pray that we would be able to give the testimony of thousands before us. That we'd be able to give it the credibility that it deserves. And that we would allow their voice to introduce you, Almighty God, to us. Through this, we pray that that the truth, Jesus Christ, would be revealed in great ways to each one of us. That we too would join the story of how you're showing yourself to all humanity. God, I thank you for your presence and I thank you for your investment in us. Help us be faithful respondents. Give us a hunger for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.